Well, it doesn't take much to get us salivating, right? You think of freshly sliced Spooner strawberries, summer ripe, placed over freshly baked shortcake topped with vanilla ice cream and whipped cream. Or freshly baked flaky cinnamon rolls right out of the oven with the glaze that just drips over the top of it. Or maybe you're more of the bacon type, just bacon. God's gift of the new covenants, bacon. Not, 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 not burned bacon, not undercooked bacon, but just bacon just right. Or maybe this is a different kind of crowd. Crisp carrots, freshly prepared quinoa. Is that more your type? But if you haven't noticed, our appetites are strong. Our appetites are easily stirred, and our appetites are not quickly satisfied. You ever notice that? Our appetites are strong. It doesn't take much to stir up our appetites, and when our appetites get going, they're not easily satisfied. And if maybe it's not food for you, maybe it's the thrill of a job well done at work or closing a sale, maybe it's shopping, maybe it's the thrill of knowing that Amazon has a package on its way, maybe it's having a coupons to go shopping with, maybe it's hitting a good sale, maybe it's the rush and the fulfillment of tracking with a good story, a good movie. But our appetites are strong. Our appetites are easily stirred, and our appetites are not quickly satisfied. But it's more than just animal instinct. Our appetites that we experience are much more than just mere cravings. It's more than just food and drink, money and sex, sports, shopping, power. Our appetites are actually an outworking of that which is most deep and true to us. Our appetites are actually an outworking of identity. And an error in identity tends to lead to a stirring of appetite. When your identity gets shaken, when who you are gets in question, our appetites are usually something that we turn to to figure out how we satisfy what's been stirred. We will seek to find something to make us content. It's like, how are your appetites doing today? What appetites are stirring in you today? Where are they leading you today? What are your appetites revealing about you today? So last week, we dove back into this series, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we're now in our third and final installment of this series that we've been in for a chunk throughout 2023. And we've walked a bit with Abram, and Sarai, their names changed to Abraham and Sarah, and then we saw them, out of their barrenness came a son, the promised son, Isaac, and we walked with Isaac and Rebekah, 
And last week we saw that they, even in their barrenness, had a child. And we met their twins, Jacob and Esau, heels and hairy, twins that battled in the womb, and then they were born. So today's sermon is titled Identity and Appetite. And I want to talk today about something in the story as we track through Abraham, then Isaac, and now to Jacob and Esau. I want to talk today about something that I'm calling the Esau pattern. The Esau pattern. And it's the Esau pattern of identity and appetite. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25, verse 24. We're going to go back a little bit into the story, get a running start into what we're going to look at today. But here's Genesis chapter 25, verse 24. It says, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, or surplanter, or heel grabber, trickster. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So again, we have this pregnancy, this struggle in the womb. Jacob and Esau, before they're born, struggling for nine months, and then Rebekah delivers her firstborn son, Esau, red and hairy. And then after that comes Jacob, grasping at the heel of his older brother. And that's where the story then goes on. The babies grow up, and the struggle that happened in the womb gets played out in the years and the story to come. Two different Children, two sons, two brothers, and their engagement together. Here's how the story goes on then, verse 27. It says, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So here we find what, I, what I'm calling the first stage of the Esau pattern, and it begins with a crisis of identity. A crisis of identity. So as the story unfolds, we discover more about Esau. And Esau is wrestling with who he is in the context of his family. And you got to love the way that the author of Genesis paints the picture and gives the vivid details of these brothers. Jacob and Esau, again, are, they are siblings, they are brothers, they are raised in the same home, same parents, and yet they are vastly different kind of kids, vastly different young men. Verse 27, Esau is called a skillful hunter. He's called a man of the field. So if, if you have any affinity for the outdoors, like this is your guy. Esau was a manly man. Esau was a skillful hunter. Esau was the guy who would love to go out hunting, love to get his hands dirty, love to be out there with the smell of the wild all over him. As the, under, uh, as the author notes, he's, he's a hunter, 
a skillful hunter. I know there's some hunters that I know that aren't so skilled as hunters, uh, and they come back with tall tales about the ones that get away, but Esau is not that kind of a hunter. He is a person who knows how to hunt, to kill, to catch, to skin, to feed. He's an outdoorsman. This wild man with wild red hair can hunt with the best of them. So, so that's the skillful hunter, Esau. So then there's a description for Jacob, his brother. Uh, the ESV translate, uh, translates this descriptive word here as quiet. Jacob is called quiet. Uh, it's the Hebrew word tom, uh, which again is kind of a hard, translators have a hard time figuring out like, what does this word mean? Because the word tom means blameless or wholesome. And we know in the Jacob story, he's not blameless or wholesome. But he's being compared to his brother, which is why they, they translate it as quiet. Esau is out there and he's, he's boisterous and he's hunting and he's killing and he's Jacob prefers, the other descriptor, is he prefers to stay in the tents. Which you're like, don't they all stay in tents? Like, don't they all have covering? Um, again, most people assume what happens is, is while Esau would love to go out with the men who hunt and killed, Jacob preferred to stay back in the tents with the women. That's where he develops this connection with his mom. Again, very different brothers. Esau the hunter, Jacob, the quiet one, the one who stays in tents. And while the guys are out there with Esau and the guys rough and tumbling in the fields and they're hunting and they're trapping and they're killing, Jacob prefers to not get his hands dirty and clean in the tents with the women and with his mom. Some may say that Jacob was a mama's boy. And we'll see more of that story play out in the weeks to come. Esau probably has rough, tough, calloused hands. Jacob didn't. I know I got made fun of in my community group for always wearing gloves when I help people move. They made fun of me for wearing gloves. Like, come on, you toughen up your hands. I'm like, no thanks, give me gloves. Esau. Jacob, skillful hunter, man of the field, quiet, preferring to stay in the tents. Now, the story has nothing to do with a theological commentary on masculinity, just so you know. You can be a man who hunts and grunts in the field, and you can be a man who stays in the tents. But that's not the point of the story. Here's what is important. The affections of the parents in the family are divided. And as the story goes on, we discover that Isaac is drawn to Esau. Whereas Jacob has this connection with his mother, Rebekah. In fact, even the way that their uh, relationship is described in the text, we're told that Rebecca loves Jacob and it's spoken of in the present tense, the ongoing nature of her love for Jacob. And Isaac's love is told in the past tense, which seems conditional and situational. 
Um, and no matter which child you are in this family story with these parental engagements, it's not necessarily a healthy thing to have one parent love one sibling and another parent love another. But the lines begin to be drawn in the family. Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau. Esau's the red hairy one, the skillful hunter, He gets primarily identified by what he can do with his skill of getting food and game. And you get to see where this begins to be tied into identity. Esau gets defined by his family in what he can produce for his dad. As a child, have you ever felt that? where your identity gets tied to what you can do and produce. Who is Esau? Oh, yeah, as we're talking about Esau, Esau's the hunter. Esau's the one who loves to go outside. Esau's the one that goes and gets dad his meat. And again, it's great that he hunts. It's great that he provides food. It's wonderful that he has those God-given abilities. But pretty soon, the primary identifier of Esau is this. I am loved because I bring back the meat. I am loved as the skillful hunter in the family. He's not being loved for who he is. He's not being loved because he's a son. He's not being loved except for tied to things that he can bring home. So Esau, again, the skillful hunter, He has somehow produced the affection of his father, but not his mother. And his mother chooses his brother. Now, just so that we're clear, why is it dangerous for us to tie identity with production? Why is it dangerous to tie identity with performance? Because there will come a point in time when you can't produce, and there will come a time when you can't perform, and there will come a time when you can't do the thing that you do to get the identity that you think you have, and then what are you left with in that moment? You're left with crisis. And maybe you felt that in your home, that you had to perform or produce or be a certain way or do a certain thing to have your mom or your dad or your sibling to give approval to you in your life. That was definitely the case going on here in this home, Jacob and Esau. There will come a time when you cannot produce, you cannot perform, and in that moment and in that season, what you're left with is a crisis, a mini crisis or a major crisis that will shake your life. You'll begin to wonder, who am I? Who am I? That's exactly what happens in the story. Verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Now, I know that the danger of some of these stories is that many who have been around the church, maybe familiar with the church, have heard these stories so many times. Like, yeah, of course, this is the story when Jacob and Esau 
Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup. Like, yeah, I've heard that one before. That's just what happens. But again, pay attention to the story. What's happening here? Slow it down. Part of the story is shocking uh, because it reveals again like a mirror some of the things that go on inside of us. And on this day, Esau comes home. And think it through. Here's the story. Esau, who's the skillful hunter. Esau, who's known for producing. Esau, who's known for going out and catching food and bringing it home. On this day, he goes out and does what he always does. But on this day, he comes home and he doesn't have any food. He's failed as a hunter. He's a wreck. He's tired. He's hungry. He's discouraged. He's desperate. Maybe he's hangry. I know there's some people in my house who get a little hangry from time to time. But he's desperate. He's frustrated. Things haven't gone his way that day. He hasn't been able to produce like he normally produces. And this crisis of identity begins to produce more in his life. As he comes back into the house, as he comes back from the fields, suddenly he has caught nothing so he can eat nothing and he's overwhelmed and he's beginning to lose a sense of the foundation of who he is. And what happens when the skillful hunter can't hunt? And what happens when the person who usually produces can't produce? It's the second part of the Esau pattern. It's this crisis of identity, who am I, that leads to a momentary yet monumental craving. And he didn't have any food, and he wasn't successful in the field that day, and he comes home empty-handed, frustrated, desperate. Again, he's speaking in hyperbole. He's like, I'm going to die, so what does it matter anyway? He goes to extremes. And he comes back and he encounters his brother and he begins to start barking out orders and he begins to start making a bargain. And again, I love the the grittiness of the story. Uh, The ESV that we've read says, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. But again, literally the text in the Hebrew reads, feed me some of that red red. Feed me, like, it's as though he reverts to, like, caveman talk. Feed me red red, is what the text says. Give me red red. Me want red red now. And it's in this moment, in this place of weakness, in this kind of crisis of identity, all he can fixate on is, I want red red. I want your stew. It looked good. Give me now. And Jacob, the heel grabber, the one who comes out of the womb hanging onto his brother's heel, he, he seizes on this moment of opportunity. He's sneaky. He always is sneaky. This is a part of his broken character. He's always conniving. He's always looking for a way to get ahead. And not only has he grabbed his brother's heel, but now he's about to try and grab his brother's birthright. And you're like, what is a birthright? And we'll talk more in weeks to come about the birthright and the blessing. And often the birthright and the blessing were put together. But in this culture, 
The birthright was the legal privilege of being the firstborn son. The legal advantage, the legal status of the firstborn son. And by being the firstborn son, you would be named as the family priest and a double portion of your father's inheritance would be given to you. And the reason why they did that is, like, well, that, that's, that's not fair. They should distribute it equally among all children. The reason they did that in that culture was is they didn't want to dilute the family assets because they wanted to pass down and to build their generational wealth. And so in giving a double portion, it allowed for more of that to accumulate over time. So the firstborn son would get the birthright. So by being first, by being the oldest, Esau had legal status of firstborn. He had legal right to a double portion of the family estate. But on this day, you know how much Esau cares about that? Not at all. He doesn't care about his birthright. He doesn't care about a blessing. He doesn't care about anything. All he wants is what? Red, red. It's all he wants. I'm hungry. He has this momentary but monumental desire and fixates on the red red. And in that moment, I don't even care about anything else. I don't care about who I am. I don't care about what's mine. I don't care about the bigger picture of life and purpose and idea. All I want is this thing. And isn't that often our story? And we get laser focused in. Losing sight of who we are. Losing sight of what is ours. Losing sight of what matters most. And in this moment, Esau gets locked in impulsively. And it's the impulsive progression of I see it, I want it, I'll take it, I'll eat it now. A momentary yet monumental burst of desire. See it, want it, take it, eat it. And so Esau, he goes, he goes all in. Again, Jacob's cunning. Jacob is seizing on his brother's weakness. But he's like, here's my chance to get what I want. And so they make the swap. How long do you think it took Esau to eat that bowl of stew? Two minutes? Five minutes? I'll be generous and give him 10 minutes. But I know that if he came home hungry after a day of hunting and didn't have any food to eat, I'm sure he ate that bowl faster than 10 minutes. But what happens in those 10 minutes of momentary impulse change him and his family story forever. In fact, we're told in the text here, again, uh, that, that his name was called Edom. Edom sounds like the Hebrew word for red. From that point on in the biblical story, Esau's descendants are called Edom. Esau's descendants are called the Edomites. If you read about the Edomites throughout the rest of the scripture, that's Esau's family line, and they're named red. Yes, Esau means red, and yes, he was red when he came out of the womb. But Esau gets named now Edom and the Edomites because of red red, because of the stew. His whole family line gets impacted and named through this impulsive moment of selling out to his brother after a bad day 
in the field. The red hairy one wants the red stew. For 10 minutes of pleasure. Is it worth it? My guess is that bowl of stew wasn't even that appealing, especially if Jacob ate it, or if Jacob made it. But when you begin to lose a sense of who you are, you start to waffle on what you really want. When you're starving, exhausted, discouraged, even when you've spent a lifetime of being trained to produce for your father and you have this moment of like, I didn't produce today. In the moment of temptation, in the moment of crisis, things change. Your identity is unstable, your appetites rage, the insignificant becomes significant, the untempting becomes tempting, and the unthinkable becomes not only thinkable but desirable. Esau doesn't know who he is. And in this moment of weakness, in not knowing who he was, he gave up and forsook and despised his birthright, the text says. And he gave up what was rightfully his. Russell Moore, one author, theologian, he says, you'll be shocked by how little money it will take for you to hand back your testimony how bad the sex was that took down your life, how bad the food was that crippled your story, your appetites are being trained and perfected. We can see the reason why our identity is so critical here, how quickly it works its way into the other aspects of our life. Esau doesn't fully understand who he is. He doesn't value his identity, treasure his identity and then he comes to lose it in a momentary act of desire. And he gets to the place where he no longer recognizes who he is. Some of us, I would say most of us, are still wrestling through the same kinds of things. Who are you? Really, at the core of the core, who are you? And in your struggle to know who you are, we end up with these momentary monumental appetites. Some of us are like in this room, are in that place, wrestling to know and make decisions around, will these 10 minutes of pleasure be worth it? Will it really satisfy? Will it really give me what I want? Will it really meet my need? Who you are feeds what you want, and what you want then translates into the path that you walk. Because the end of the story here, in some ways, is devastating. Verse 34, it says, Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He eats, he drinks, he rises, he goes his way. The, the progression is short, succinct, precise, and heartbreaking. 
Esau ate and drank and rose and went his way. He ate and drank and rose and went his way. Like it's impulsiveness at its worst. And in doing so, he despises his birthright. His thinking, it makes sense. It's like verse 32, I'm about to die. If I'm dead, what good's a birthright? Give me food, red, red. Our thinking gets twisted. So he despises his birthright. He turns his nose up at it. He eats and drinks. He rises, he goes his way. And I would say the Esau pattern plays itself out time and time and time again in our world and in our church and in our lives. Identity confusion. Who am I? Momentary swings of desire and a scorning of who you really are. Who you are feeds what you want and what you want translates into the path that you take. So here's the thing. I think oftentimes in churches, we focus simply on appetite. Like, well, how do you stop craving red red? Whatever that may be, right? We often want to disciple around the appetite or the desire, be it food or drink or sex or power or shopping or money or The good forms, more reading, memorizing, serving, giving. No pornography, alcohol, drugs, gambling. And again, all those things have a place in the conversation. But oftentimes the church message is stop getting the red red. Stop the unhealthy appetites. But how is the Esau pattern really changed? Is it more lectures on the dangers of stew? I would say without the identity piece in place, we will end up just chasing endless appetites. Because we're creative sinners. (laughs) And I can shut down one form of my appetite expression and I will find another thing to grab onto to somehow satisfy myself until I come to understand at the core of the core who am I really who are you and why do I keep then seeking to find satisfaction in all these things that ultimately don't satisfy my deepest desire and need If you're confused on your identity, if you think that you're either an animal that just needs to do whatever your urge is, or if you think you're a God and you demand your own way, you will end up in all sorts of messes until you discover the invitation of God in Christ. Image bearer of God. That's who you are, an image bearer of God who through the work of Jesus is being offered a truer, better identity. Beloved. Son of God. Daughter of God through the work of Jesus. Not based on what you do or how you perform, what you can do for your mom or your dad, 
based on the finished work of Jesus for you. Who are you? It's what Paul says in Colossians 3.3. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's an identity. That through the work of Jesus and faith in him, that you could actually experience life where you are hidden with Christ in God. Union with God. Christ offers forgiveness and grace and a name greater than all of your broken cravings. On your own, you won't be able to fully train your appetites, discipline your way out of it, white-knuckle your way to holiness, and hopefully our New Year's resolutions tell on us. They don't last very long. But Jesus... Jesus came and lived a life fully in obedience to the Father. He fasted and he feasted perfectly. He lived the life that we have failed to live and he died the death that we should have died, that we could come to know at the deepest part of who we are, the love, the grace, the identity that will not be shaken and will not be taken away. It's the good news of the good news that you don't have to be what you do or what your parents trained you to be. You don't have to always want what you crave in your brokenness. It's also good news that you don't have to go down the path that you're going down right now. You can change. God is offering you a path of freedom, of healing, of wholeness, of change, of not being slave to whatever whim of appetite happens to hit you on the wrong or right day through Jesus. Jesus drank the stew of God's wrath for you. Jesus was disinherited like Esau to share his inheritance with those who would trust him by faith. Jesus took the penalty of your appetites and your momentary lapses of desire, and Jesus has forever reclaimed an identity for you of one that is loved, of one who is forgiven, of one who is a child, of one who is a son and a daughter, deeply loved, to recreate the Esau pattern in your life. dependent upon him because Jesus is more powerful than your stomach or your appetite or your desires Jesus is more powerful than your poor choices Jesus is better than your momentary surges of desire and he offers it freely to you by his grace And it's possible because Jesus offers us the better red red, his blood, his body, broken and shed for you. 
to give us a better identity and give us new life, forgiven and free to pursue him in a new way. So in this moment, on this day, may you hear again the invitation of Jesus. May you hear his questions to you about who you are. May you sense his ability and power and creativity to deal with the mistaken appetites, the misplaced appetites, the broken ways of living, that the Esau patterns may be changed and transformed in a new and living way for your good, for your freedom. Let's pray. Lord, it's easy to look at someone like Esau who despises his birthright. It's like, what's his problem? That was a stupid move. What a waste. And Lord, it's all too familiar. Minutes of momentary pleasure that betray the deepest core of who you've made us to be. So we thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Praise you, God, for your pursuit in salvation. But Lord, may you set us free to live differently. Lord, I pray for those maybe in this room who are in those places, like right now, in their lives, in their homes, in their marriages, in their jobs, making decisions that seem to be best. but actually would lead to death away from you. Selling short of what you have made them for and who you've called them to be. Oh God, I pray you'd open our eyes to see in those moments when the desires seem so real and so strong and unavoidable. Oh, by your spirit would you break in. Open our eyes. Remind us who we are. Speak louder, I pray, God. Remind us of our identity. And may we turn in repentance away to receive and walk in that which is more beautiful, that which is greater, that which you have for us. Lord, may we not be those who despise the birthright you've given us. And in those times when we do, may we run quickly to the cross, receive your grace and keep walking. So Lord, we offer ourselves to you again. God, I pray for those in the room that may not know you yet, that have not come to surrender to you in faith. And I pray, Lord, for those who have walked with you for years and have experienced their own version of this story. God, I pray even today there would be change. A reminder again of who you are. A reminder again of who they are. an invitation into something new today. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.